Good morning, you guys. Get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today, Ephesians 5. And I want to just say, my wife and I are really glad to be back home with our church family. We were on vacation last week and then earlier. Wait, which week? Man, we, yeah, it's been two, my goodness. All right, so two weeks ago, we went on vacation last week. We had a conference up in Pennsylvania. It was a good time. Uh, But we're really excited to be back home, but I know you guys were in really good hands last week. I got to listen to the message that one of our shepherds, Dale Crosby, preached last week. It was an excellent message on bearing one another's burdens. If you didn't get to listen to that or any of the other uh, sermons as a part of this series, those are available online on our website, waynesborofm.com. Please be sure to go check that out. One of of my favorite things that Dale said last week that I just thought was uh, just instrumental was the, 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 the single concept. When we talk about bearing one another's burdens, he said... We're family, right? Get that little illustration of the little brother carrying his old, or the older brother carrying his younger brother. He's heavy. No, he's my brother, right? There's this sense that we're, we're family, so it just makes every burden something that we should be willing to carry for one another, and I love it. It was really well done, so thank you, Dale. I appreciate your ministry last week uh, to our church family. Uh, speaking of family, um, it was actually yesterday uh, that I finally remembered, uh, that it came to mind, uh, that this Sunday... Three years ago uh, was my wife and I's first Sunday with you all. Um, yeah, which is cra- crazy. I, I mean, we, my wife and I have been reflecting a lot on, on some, of, uh, some of the things God has done in our own hearts and in our own lives and our own maturing uh, that have been instrumental. Like this church has been instrumental in that. And so, like, I just love what's happened uh, in our own lives, in our own family, but also with our own church family. I really, I really have seen. Can you remember what it was like? Because that was COVID. Like, that was the Rona days, right? And can, look at us now. Like, like this is incredible. Um, and I think, I think one of the key things that has happened is that we, we really have become family, have we not? It's been an incredible blessing. So I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about today. I'm not going to spoil it yet, but let me kind of set it up in this way. A little while ago, I came across an article in the New York Times uh, that, had re- that was detailing some of the recent studies that had been done at MIT about the brain and about the auditory cortex in the brain and how it relates to music. So if you didn't know this, you have a brain. And, and in that brain is something called an auditory cortex. Can you say auditory cortex? This auditory cortex is basically how you process all your sound. Everything your ears hear, your brain has to process it, and it goes through the auditory cortex. Your auditory cortex, I'm going to say that like 500 times by the end of the day, oh my goodness, has six main pathways in it. Neurons tucked in there that that receive the sound. And what they've discovered is that one of the six pathways of your auditory, auditory cortex is solely dedicated to the processing of music. Only music, right? So, so when a musical passage is played, whether it's, uh, it doesn't have lyrics, right? Just music itself, instrumentation. When it's played, there's a distinct set of neurons in your brain that are firing, that are tucked inside of your auditory cortex, and they're going to fire in response every time you hear music. Now, if you were to play other sounds like dogs barking, babies crying, toilets flushing, cars, sk- cars skidding, like all sorts of other noises, they don't cause this one pathway to react. It sits dormant in all of that. It only reacts 
in music. Not only that, if you were to take that same music and overlay lyrics, words, singing to it, it triggers every neuron on all six pathways of your brain's auditory cortex. Every part of your auditory cortex gets engaged whenever you hear words to music. It doesn't matter which kind of music either. Didn't matter if it was Bach, Beethoven, didn't matter if it was the Beatles or if it was uh, bluegrass, didn't matter if it was hip hop or, or solid rock, like hard rock, like the kind of stuff you, you just hear the pick strumming across the strings, like it's like, ah, nails on a chalkboard, right? Didn't matter what kind of music it was, what genre it was, and it also didn't matter if you liked it or not. Every part of your Auditory cortex gets engaged when you hear lyrics over music. It's incredible. It operates at its full capacity only whenever you hear lyrics to music. It's incredible. But not only that, not, that's just hearing music and song and singing. What about when we actually sing? Well, studies have come out recently that have shown that when you're truly, when you're engaged on a, like a heart level in singing, it releases oxytocin into the body. It's just a hormone that alleviates anxiety and stress. It, it boosts your immune system. It also helps your mood. And it, even that, it, it serves as an ally in fighting cancer. So you want to fight your cancer, start singing. Science itself is just proving over and over and over again that our, we are intelligently designed. And not only that, we're designed to be sung to, and we are designed to sing. Now, some of you, <laughs> some of you especially after this morning, might be saying, yeah, not the guy sitting behind me. <laughs> he was not designed to sing. <laughs> that dude, that girl, whoever it was, it may have been a donkey, I don't know, but something's wrong with his auditory cortex. He cannot do this. Now, this is absolutely true of everyone. It's definitely true of the body of Christ, the church. And yet, for the church, singing isn't just we don't just do it for the health benefits. Oh, I want to fight cancer. La, 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 la. No, we don't want to. Like it's, like, it's like there's so much more to it in the body of Christ whenever we sing together. It captures our hearts. It, it stirs up our faith. In fact, there's a book called Worship in the Early Churches written by a guy named Ralph Martin. And this is one of the things he said, and he said, the Christian church was born in song. Guys, the church is really just one timeless, redeemed choir for the Lord. Think about what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Some of that might be boring to you, but my goodness, after this morning, I hope you're like, never mind, I was wrong. It is good to praise the Lord. This is why this morning's one another command is just so vital to the purpose of why we even gather together as a church family on Sundays like this. The command is simply this, to sing to one another. Can you say that? Say it louder. Guys, the Bible itself talks about singing over 400 different times. Not only that, it issues 50 direct commands for us to sing. Now, I realize there may be some people in here who look at this 
And they say, and they realize that this is what we're going to be studying all morning. And they say, yeah, pastor, I was good so far in this whole one another series. I was kind of okay with confess one another. I was definitely okay with bear one another's burdens. I'm checking out this Sunday. I was not made to sing. I can't carry a tune. I think a dying whale sounds better than me when I sing. Well, if that's you, then you are absolutely in luck because Scripture does not say make a melodious noise to the Lord. It says make a so it ain't about the, the quality of what's coming out your mouth. It's about the quality of what's coming out your heart. So you can still sound like a dying whale and love this and enjoy this. Now, most likely, if you do sound like a dying whale, don't expect to be invited to sing a Christmas special at our Christmas Eve service. We just love our people too much. And we love you too much. All right? So, so we're in this text, in this passage in Ephesians 5, where we see this command but let me just set it up. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He just literally talked about a challenge. He gave a challenge to the church in Ephesus to walk in the light, not in the darkness. You remember the first Sunday we said, if we walk in the light, is he in the light? We have fellowship with one another. How appropriate then that after he gives a challenge for us to walk in the light, he starts talking about what we should do with one another. It involves how we relate to one another. Look at verse 18. We'll start there and go all the way to verse uh, I think 21 or 20. Verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. So from this text, I just want to make six observations, six truth claims about our singing to and for one another, okay, to the Lord. And, and one of the things is, is every point could be like this own sermon. Uh, we don't have enough time, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to get through all six of these in an in a orderly fashion. The first thing that we see in this text about our singing to one another is that singing is Holy Spirit fueled. Can you read that for me? So Paul starts off his thoughts about singing with not getting drunk. I don't know why, maybe, it, I guess it is those who get drink who usually sing a lot. But look at verse 18. He starts off with don't get drunk. Why? Because that's sinful behavior. It leads to reckless living. Instead of that, be filled with the Spirit singing to one another. Do you notice the main command here is not to sing to one another or to speak to one another? The main command is for you to be filled with the Spirit. And out of that comes speaking to one another in the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music to one another. Those are participle commands, meaning they are verbal adjectives, meaning they're describing what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So our singing, in other words, is a natural overflow of what it means when we are filled with the Spirit of God. Now I want to challenge you then, because here's, a, here's, a, here's a, a hard reality about that, is that sometimes our singing isn't Spirit-fueled. Sometimes we can sing Christian songs in a Christian environment and not be pleasing to God. So there's this passage in Amos that I would point you to, Amos 5, 
This is God speaking to Israel through the prophet Amos. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. You see, the Israelites had totally neglected justice and righteousness among themselves. Sin was running rampant, so their songs made no sense to the Lord. It was displeasing to Him. So there is a kind of religious singing that is actually offensive to God. It's distasteful to Him. It doesn't please Him. And it is mainly that kind of singing that is not a work stemming out of the Holy Spirit in your life. Instead, there's this kind of singing that is really pleasing to God, that that flows out of the fullness of His presence, the fire, as we talked about earlier, of God's Spirit in your life. So this is why Paul contrasts drunkenness with spiritfulness, right? He contrasts it with drunkenness. Getting drunk means you are being controlled by alcohol. You have lost all sense of control over your, over your faculties, over your mind, and something else is influencing it. So don't do that, he says. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when you're filled with alcohol, it's controlling you. It's causing you to do things and act in certain ways that the Scriptures describe as reckless living, debauchery. But he said, he says, be filled with the Spirit means, means be controlled by the Spirit so that you can feel and you can act in certain ways. In this case, one of the things that happens when you're filled with the Spirit, you just start singing. Now, I'm not talking about like Elsa and Anna and and let it go and whatever. I'm talking about like you're actually filled with the Spirit of God. So then this begs the question, how am I filled with the Spirit? Well, the answer comes from the same question. How are you filled with alcohol? Like, how do you get drunk? You just keep on drinking in alcohol, right? How do you get filled with the Spirit? You keep drinking in the Spirit. You keep drinking deeply of his things, of the spirit. You read and you meditate on his his breathings through this book. You, You spend time in his presence. You feel the fire of his presence in your life. So when you're filled with the spirit, you're led to this place of strong, Holy Spirit fueled singing. That's the first truth we see in this text is that comes out of the spirit Second truth I see is that singing is to and for one another. Can you read that? Now read this in verse 19. Get there. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music. Okay. Can I just say this? Well, I will just say it. I don't have to ask permission. Our singing here, our singing at Freedom Worship, when we get together in our life groups, singing is not strictly an individual experience of God. It's not just, oh, it's just me and the Lord. Our singing is for everyone here as well. It is a corporate thing 
So, so uh, I heard this story about a guy. Um, he was with his church on Sunday morning. He was singing some worship, singing some praise to the Lord. You know, he kind of, you know, did the, the, the uncomfortable thing for some people or the Pentecostal thing for other people. He lifted his hands. He was singing in praise to the Lord. And the song kind of ended. He kind of put his hands down. He was anticipating the next song. Next song starts singing. And, and he starts, like, lifting his voice up to the Lord. And he's just kind of looking around. And there's this dude, one of his buddies, over beside him. And he's just staring at him, singing to him. Can you, can you picture that? Like you're sitting here and you got, you got some person over, you're sitting here and somebody else over there is just singing to you. Like you know how uncomfortable that is? Like how weird that is? He felt so weird. He was like, what are you doing, bro? Let me, I'm trying to get after the Lord. Why are you looking at me? Get after the Lord. Well, then he started realizing the song they were singing. And the song they were singing was not in the second person to the Lord. It was a song of a challenge to the church. And instead of, instead of directing his voice to the Lord, he was directing his voice to his other brothers and sisters. You see, we sing songs like that. Come, now is the time to worship. That's an invitation to the church. So you come. Or we sing songs like, what, 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 I had one other mind. Oh, church arise by the Gettys. Put your armor on right? That is not a song that we're singing to the Lord. I am singing that to you. Church, get up. The light has dawned. So when you sing in a congregation, when you come together in a gathering, you're not just seeking an individual experience of God. You are seeking a corporate worship, a corporate choir to the Lord as we get together. It's not just individual experiences. We're singing with one another. We're singing for one another. We're singing to one another every time we get together for everyone's edification, for your building up, for your encouragement in the Lord. Guys, I can't help but, like, think about it. Like, like you got a whimpering child in the middle of the night, and you just, you start, uh, you sing a lullaby to them in their whimpering in the darkness of the night because they feel scared. Sing to them. I remember as a kid, or sorry, when my kids were kids. Oh boy, that feels like so long ago. Um, when they were babies, they would have to cry in order to fall asleep. And one of the things I would do is I'd walk around in that upstairs room and I would sing to them, It is well with my soul. And I would sing to just try to calm them down. And they would calm. And they started getting used to that. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we sang that song our church family, and one of my kids came up and said, Dad, you used to sing that song to us as kids, didn't you? Yeah. It's like a lullaby. It's like, it's like a battle cry within soldiers who are dug deep in the trenches with arrows flying over. They're singing to one another. Or it's like a cadence call on a ship where each one is rowing and we're keeping in syncopation with one another as we sing to one another. Guys, I got to tell you, my faith is encouraged when I see my brothers and sisters praising the Lord with something as normal as just singing and something as, as different as raising hands or falling on their faces before God. As we need to be singing not just for individual experiences, but we sing to and for one another. And so we must sing with everything we can muster because we care more about our brothers than our own individual experience, care more about our sisters than our own edification. Church was never meant to be selfish. 
In fact, church is supposed to be the very opposite of that. So that's why our singing is to and for the church, according to what Paul commands us here. Here's a third truth that I would put before you. That singing is varied in form. Can you read that one? Guys, Paul uses three different terms here in verse 19 to talk about that which we're to use to speak to and sing to one another with. He says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? Some of you know that phrase really well. One commentator said, and a lot of them agreed, it's really hard to look at these and say, well, this is nice and tucked in this, and this one means only this, and this one means that. There's so much overlap in what they mean that it's hard to actually draw any hard and fast distinctions between the three. But we do know pretty basically that psalms, the, the, the psalms we're to sing with are the ones from the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. We're to sing those and speak those to one another. There's also hymns, right? Hymns, understood in the context, simply just means longer compositions that have the same melody carried out over a long period of time. That's why you have some hymns that have like 35 verses. It's ridiculous. And you pick three. And then you have spiritual songs, right? You have these spiritual songs. And I'm going to say this and have fun with it. This refers to snatches of spontaneous praise, which the inspired spirit, inspiring spirit, places on the lips of the enraptured worshiper. Spontaneous praise. Guys, our worship can and should take on different forms as we sing. And guys, one of the things that I love is how Luke does so well in, in coordinating these different psalms and hymns and spiritual songs for us to sing together. I think he does an excellent job. I kind of hear what he hears or what he's planned out, and I'm like, well done, good and faithful servant. Go lead it, right? But I also, uh, after I blow my nose, I'm going to poke the beast real quick. Um, I'm just going to do it, okay? Uh, it is very easy for us to condemn a certain style of worship uh, that, that isn't our preference. Uh, it's very easy for us to, to, to like our specific songs and have a distaste for other songs that just keep us miserable as they're played. So don't get me wrong. We, we all have our preferences. You should have preferences. If you don't have any preferences, <laughs> oh boy, right? you got to think for yourself, right? But we have, some of us are hymns people. Some of us are the, the new worship people. Some of us are, you can't sing anything but the psalms themselves, right? And sometimes when we're in our worship gathering together and, and there's a song that's played and it's not one that you like, you just kind of check out. Maybe you sit down, maybe you just start thinking about uh, the football game happening later today or what you're going to do on holiday. I see this true in every generation, I see it true of the young people when hymns are played. They're like, oh, geez, this old song, gosh. I also see it true of the new gen or the older generation with the newer songs. Golly, this song came out yesterday. Like, why are we singing it? I see it true of all generations, and I see it true in my own heart. I, uh, so imagine the complexity Luke's got to go through when he's trying to figure out songs for you guys. 
I uh, once heard a worship leader who had just finished leading a worship service and had an older elderly gentleman come up to him after the service and said to him, you know, I'm not particularly fond of these new songs you're doing. I'm a hymns kind of guy. And if that's all he had said, that worship leader would have been very discouraged. But he kept saying, but when I see these songs that you lead us in cause the congregation to raise their voices and their hands and humble their hearts, it causes me to worship. Let's sing more of those songs. Guys, if you can think about it this way, when we come together and we do our corporate gathering and singing to and for and with one another, if, if you have the understanding from Scripture that that time isn't about you, then it's very easy when a song comes on that isn't your cup of tea to say, oh, no, wait, somebody else is, oh, my, I know my brother over there, I know my sister, she loves this song. Oh, she's going to give praise to God, and I'm going to give praise to God. Our worship is for everyone else, too. And so, so if a song comes on that you don't particularly like, right, like, I, I get it, I understand but the next step isn't to check out. The next step is to remind yourself of the truths that are in that song and that those very truths are ministering to somebody else in our church family, and you can thank God for that. And that's worship. Selfless worship. Is the, is the beast going to come meet me later? Are y'all good with that? I poked it. You said yes. Somebody's going to eat. Oh, boy. I'll get some emails. We'll see. Here's the fourth truth I see in the text. Singing is heartfelt. Can you say that? Singing is heartfelt. Look at verse 19. Again, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your head. Heart? Oh, heart. With your heart. All right. How many of you are like you, you were born in the church? Just raise your hands. You were, like, not literally, but you kind of grew up in the church. If you were born literally in the church, we got talk. Um, <clears throat> right, right. So, so you grew up, you probably are, you've probably sang the song Amazing Grace maybe like 2,000 times. Probably, m probably more. If you didn't grow up in the church, you know what it is because you went to every funeral and it was sung there, right? Amazing Grace. And I'll bet you that it probably like the 221st time that you sing that song, your, your heart stopped being stirred by the truths in the hymn, and now it's just an enjoyable relic for you. Because the songs that we sing, that we sing together, are to never be strictly liturgical actions reciting lyrics. As the essence of Christian worship is an inner, authentic valuing of God in your heart. You check, the, you, you grasping that? True ultimate worship, when we're singing, there should be some treasuring of God in the heart of your soul. And that's the true essence of worship. Because the heart is the seat of your affections. It's what you desire. It's what you love. And, 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 and while we, we don't let our affections run rampant and we don't let them steer us or control us, we, we do want to lead them. We want them to be rightly stirred for God. 
And so once we grasp this truth that, that how our affections are stirred in our hearts is just as important for reflecting the glory of God as what we know in our heads, then we'll begin to see why music and singing is such a vital tool of the Lord for the church to keep their hearts engaged in His truths. Guys, think about it, right? Understanding truth is half worship. Having your affection stirred by what you understand is full worship. What you understand and what stirs you based off of that, that brings full glory to God. That's one of the things Jonathan Edwards argued for. He said, God is glorified not only by His glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. So when our affections are stirred by the Spirit of God, we sing. We sing. In fact, one author said that singing is the vent of our joy. So therefore, brothers and sisters, I, I, I want to challenge you. If you're, if you're here on a Sunday morning, maybe you had a bad night last night. Maybe the, the ride here was tough. Trust me, I'm a, I grew up in the church. I know most fights happen on Sunday morning in the car on the way to church. If you're here and you enter into the time where we're singing with and to one another and to the Lord, and your heart is like, eh, or is like, right? Don't, don't start to sing. It's okay. In fact, I would say, I would say pause because you don't want to allow your heart to be apathetic and unaffectionate when we sing these songs. Because you're the watchman of your heart in cooperation with the Lord. Nobody else knows your heart like you do. We don't want to allow ourselves into a time of unaffectionate half-worship. But we can't let our hearts stay neutral or negative. We need to lead our hearts into the truths that inspire praise to the Lord. So, so don't let your heart sing another song without any kind of stirring there. You've got to be the watchman over it. And when it isn't moved, when it isn't stirred, confess it to God is wrong because you know the truths that we're singing are just too good because the angels have been singing about them since the dawn of creation. And you just say, God, my heart's not in this. I know it should be. Show me what's wrong. Lead me in the truth. I promise you he will meet you there. I promise you. And then when you start feeling the joy and the peace and the fruit of the Spirit in your heart, then you just, all right, God, I'll bring you my praise. Your singing must be heartfelt. Now, there's something to be said about when you don't have affections and you still walk in obedience. I think there's something true there, something valuable there. But I would also caution you to not, to, to, to not just let it slip every time you see it. That's truth number four. We've got two more. Let's keep going. Singing is God-centered. Can you say that one? Let's look at verse 19 again. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. To the Lord. So, of course, 
right? This one, you're like, well, duh, yeah, we, I thought this was what it was always supposed to be. So yeah, so there's a horizontal plane to our singing, and obviously there's a vertical plane to our singing. We sing of God, but this also means that we're to sing to God. So this is why we sing songs in the second person to the Lord, things like, I will worship you for who you are, right? Or songs like, great is thy faithfulness. Thy is the King James Version of your, which is our language, just so you know. Great is your faithfulness. So we are to sing so centered on God himself that it's like we're in his very throne room, that we're there with him. And we have this view of God before us on his throne. And we're hearing the voices around us and we're seeing and that, des- that, 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 that God desires that, that we, he would receive our worship from him or to him. So, so here's one of the things that I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you when, when we're in worship, if you, if you can do this, right, I would encourage you to, to let the walls fade away. Let the building fade away. Let the people stay and let the stage turn around and let God's throne be what we're seeing in our mind's eye. And you see the son, the lamb who was slain, seated at the right hand of the father, and you're picturing the angels and the cherubim and seraphim all crying out to the Lord, and you've got myriads and myriads of, of brothers and sisters standing with you before the throne of God, and you're, and you're, and you're worshiping, and you're praising, and you're singing together. Try that. Next time we begin to sing, center your worship, your singing on God himself. That's one of the ways I do it. And then lastly, number six, singing is deeply theological. Can you say that? Look at verse 19 again. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice what Paul says there? He says, give thanks always and for everything to God in Christ. Always and in everything? Oh, guys, that's an outrageous idea. That is scandalous, outrageous, whoa. Especially, especially when your child dies or when you get the call and your mom has cancer, or, or you look at the bank account and the budget's so tight. Give go- thanks to God in Christ Jesus always and for everything. It would be an outrageous idea to give thanks in those kinds of circumstances, wouldn't it? Unless you have a deep biblical theology of God's sovereignty over all of your suffering. Guys, I'm not just talking about a chipper kind of praise God anyhow sort of mentality in our pain. I, I believe that you can be in life's worst trials and, and there can be true gratitude to God for them because you have a God we serve, a God who is moving and working all things for His glory and for your good. Not a thing gets wasted in your life. Why do you think the song, It Is Well, is so powerful? It's because it was written in one of the hardest circumstances I could ever imagine. Horatio Spafford writing the song in a ship 
overtop the sunken ship where his daughters lie buried in the ocean. And he writes the words, it is well with my soul. The only way you can do that and give thanks to God for the gospel and Jesus Christ in those kinds of circumstances is if you have a deep theology. And when you do, it can act as a beacon of light in the the dark night of the soul when things are incredibly hard and it's hard to see forward. That's why we have to have singing that is deeply theological. It's why we have to have lyrics in our worship that are undergirded by what we consider to be true about God. In fact, New Testament scholar Gordon Fee, he said this. He said, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. Guys, we are what we sing in a way. So we strive to sing songs that are just soaking in deep and lofty theology, truth about God, about us, all coming from his word. That's another thing that I think Luke does so well in carefully considering our worship and our theology as we sing so that ultimately what we can do is we can agree with Paul when he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, I will sing praise with the Spirit which isn't just my heart, it's the Spirit of God, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. It's both working in conjunction together. So with all of these truths, real quick, I just want to bring us to a place where we're going to examine our own hearts and our own souls in light of these truths. So I've got some evaluative questions, and maybe, maybe now's a good time for you to guys bow your heads and just not be looking around and, and be thinking through this. The first truth we came to was singing is to be spirit-fueled. Here's the challenging question. Is your worship, is your singing an overflow of your relationship with the Holy Spirit of God in you? Or do you sing because your religion demands it? The second truth we came to is that singing is two and for one another. So do you sing to build up the body of Christ and to edify your brother and sister who are in the room with you? Or do you sing because you want to benefit from it or you find it entertaining? The third truth we came to is that singing takes on all sorts of forms with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you worship, do you find yourself checking out when it's a song you don't like? Or do you sing from the heart knowing that our worship is corporate, it's together? And someone is enjoying Jesus more because of the song we're singing. Fourth truth we came to is that singing needs to be felt in the heart. When you sing, do you find yourself just reciting the words or trying to hit the right notes? I know that's where I'm at often. 
Or are you working to engage your heart from its depths to being praised to Jesus? The fifth truth we found in God's word this morning is that singing is ultimately to be God-centered. And so the challenge question for you is, do you, do you keep the volume of your voice low, the posture of your body stiff, and your hands by your sides simply because you're so focused on what other people may be thinking of you? Or do you find in your mind and in your heart that you're focusing on what, on wanting to give all you have to God, that the room, the building fades, and our brothers and sisters are with you in your heart and mind, standing before the throne of God in whatever posture and at whatever volume it takes for you to communicate to God what you know and how you feel about it. And the last truth we came to was singing is deeply theological. Do you find yourself enjoying more songs that are as theologically thin as a twig and they snap so easily when suffering comes into your life that they don't stand? Or do you Work to incorporate into your playlists, into your worship, songs that are as theologically robust as a mountain, that you can stand on them when the waves come in. Take a second to confess those things to the Lord. Maybe one of them pricked you and challenged you. Maybe you need some encouragement and help in it. God's Spirit can shape your heart. He is able. Because only He knows your heart. He can search the depths of it. And He knows the answers to these questions more than you do for you. And I'm betting that all of us have found ways to be challenged this morning. Challenged afresh and new. So if you guys would lift your heads up and look back up here. I've got one challenge. One ultimate thing. Based on the text, I just, I want to plead with you when we come together as a church family every time we're here. And I love what I see. I love what I get to be a part of whenever we come here. Or when you're in your life groups or we're having our freedom worship time, any time that we come together to lift our voices to a tune, to sing theology and praise to God, sing your heart out. Every part of it. Sing your heart out. It takes on a new meaning when you put it in the context of this, right? Like, it's not like a karaoke night at the local bar, right? Like, no, sing your heart out when we come together because singing is the vent of our joy. And if we're a people who have much joy in Jesus, our praises ought to be rising as we come together. So sing for the glory of God. Sing for the church and sing for your life. Sing with all your might. Sing your heart out.
And when we do, we get a little, little taste of heaven on earth again and again and again and again. Because if, if heaven is loudly singing about the risen Lamb who is slain, if all of heaven is loudly singing about our Jesus, then let all of earth be loudly singing about our Jesus, the risen lamb who is slain.